Grab your Bibles this morning, Judges chapter 13. For those wondering, this will be our last week, Judges for a while. Take a break over Christmas, uh, probably a couple weeks into January. Uh, so we won't, those wondering Christmas Eve, we're not going to be in Judges. Uh, we are starting Samson, at least uh, I'm going to say ballpark of Samson. He doesn't really enter the story to the last two verses, but we get to hear his backstory. And so here's Brad Gray. He wrote a whole book just on Samson, not the book of Judges, just on the life of Samson. This is, this is how he introduces the topic of Samson, his first chapter, even uh, introduction maybe. I forget where it was, but this is what he says. We don't want, to simply re- we don't want it, Samson, to simply remain a story. We want it to do something to us, to inform us, challenge us, direct us, and most important, transform us. Okay, like, all the word of God, what he just said, right? So, so we're not saying anything different about Samson than we are the rest of the entire Bible, but here we go. I believe some of the most foundational truths and struggles of life are seen implicitly and explicitly in the story of Samson. This isn't a story about muscles and testosterone, nor is it simply for men. It is a story for humanity because it is a story about humanity. It is a story about calling and the use of our gifts It's a story about success and failures. It's a story about forgiveness and revenge. It's a story about hope and despair. It's a story about light and darkness. It is a story riddled with anger, pride, arrogance, lust, selfishness, and a host of other human emotions we all deal with from time to time. Essentially, it, the Samson story, is a story about life. Okay, so so I don't know how we came, come to this idea of Samson. Right this morning, we get in the van, and one of the boys says, Dad, I love the Samson story. And I'm thinking, like, just hang in there. Like, well, it's coming, right? Uh, but for some of us, it's muscles. It's, it's just excitement. Like, we've been in Judges, and we, I mean, we just left Jephthah, right? And, and human sacrifice, and, and 42,000 men die. And it's like, we just leave that. And now we get Samson, where at least it's like, hey, he's going to tie some foxtails together, light them on fire, and send them through the woods. Like, at least that's Different than other parts of Judges, at least that's maybe exciting. Like, so I don't know where we come into the story of Samson. But I would encourage us, like, like we're going to spend more time here than with any other judge. That's not an accident. Right? And, and like what Brad, Brad Gray says, I feel like here is life. Here's our struggle. Uh, so, so it's going to be easy to say, like, Samson that was a failure, because he was. It's going to be easy to say, I can't believe he did those things. And yet in the story of our life, we often fail. In the story of life, we struggle with the same emotions that he struggled with and different things, okay? So, so I'm excited about Samson, but I'm, all that to say this. Judges 13, uh, I, I skipped Abimelech, the story of, of you know, a, a killing 70 brothers and a curse and, and all, like, cool story, right? Judges 13 is not that. Right? In the story of a narrative, uh, I'm not trying to downplay what we're going to do this morning, but in the story of a narrative, there's, there's really easy takeaways, there's really easy application, there's real easy, like, man, that was, a, that was a great week. Okay, this week is what? It's foundational for the rest of Samson. So, so it might not be the easiest of takeaways, it might not be the, like, man, what a great story, like, that was thrilling. Probably not going to have that this morning. But we need Judges 13, why? Because Judges 14 is coming. Right? I feel like we did this in Habakkuk, and there was a, a portion of Habakkuk that, that I personally, no offense to Habakkuk, but I felt like, man, this, this portion is kind of boring. But man, when we grasped that boring part, that next part was made so much more alive. 
So, so what are we going to do this morning? We're going to lay the foundation for Samson. And, and I want us to be able to grasp what the author's trying, trying to get to us. Like, if we don't grasp what he's trying to say in Judges 13, then 14, 15, you know, following Samson's story is not going to be as powerful. Okay? So all that to say, that, all that to say, now we're going to get to the story, but we're not going to read just yet. I'm going to tell you what we're going to read in Judges 13. Judges 13 is, is the, the birth of Samson. Okay? Right from the get-go, that should sound different already. We've had Othniel and Ehud and Deborah and Gideon and Jephthah and Shamgar. Like, at most, we knew their dad's name. Maybe we knew something about their mom, especially if it wasn't a good thing, it seems like. So we've gone through 11 judges so far, and we didn't get any sort of birth story. We didn't get any sort of, like, here's their parents and here's the background. We didn't get any sort of, like, the angel of the Lord shows up to mom and dad. Like, all of this is different. Right, so, so we're going to talk about birth story. Like, we got Christmas coming, right? Here's celebrating a birth of Jesus. We already sung about it this morning, all that. Like, there's some feeling of that happening here in Judges 13. So the question is, why in the world do we get this nativity story in the middle of Judges 13 that's not dealing with, with a future deliverer, but dealing with a present Samson who's going to deliver? Like, why do we get that? Okay, a couple different thoughts. Here's mine. We get this story because throughout Judges, and I'm not... I feel like I'm walking a fine line here. Uh, I think the author has an intent. God has an intent. God is sovereign. I'm not downplaying any of God's sovereignty. I'm just trying to allow the text to say what I think the text is trying to say. Okay? Up until this point in Samson, what have we seen? We've seen Gideon. Who is he? He's scared. He needs a fleece. He needs it twice. Uh, He needs uh, a couple enemies to talk about a dream they had. But it almost seems like, well, he's the best man available. Othniel, Ehud, Cham- like it almost seems like throughout the story, we've gotten best man available. And what have we seen, especially from Gideon on, what have we seen? Have we seen epic failure, epic failure, epic failure? And so there's some level where it's like, yeah, but, but in the story of Judges, like we haven't had a judge who wasn't just the best man available. Like, like what if we had a judge who was more than just the best man available? Like, what if we had a judge that from the very beginning of his life, he was going to be called to be a judge and he was going to be different? Like, I wonder what that story would look like. So it's almost as if the author and God is at work saying, look, the judges have been epic failures. And if you're thinking, well, you just didn't give it a good enough shot. You just didn't try hard enough to make judges work in this time period. Then it's like, okay, here's Samson. He's the last judge. We're not going to say the best for last because that's definitely not the case. But there's some level of, you don't think that Ehud was good enough? You don't think Othniel was good enough? All right, here's, here comes one that we, as a, as a reader, would think, okay, he's the one. If any of this is going to work, it's going to be through Samson, okay? Dumb illustration with, like, a million holes in it, okay? Just incoming. If, if you, a couple years ago, a decade ago, probably, maybe more, some guy came with a, a running plan called Couch to a 5K, Right? Millions of people seem like, like, hey, that's my running plan. Like, I like the couch, but there's some part of me that thinks maybe I would like to run someday. So this is it. And apparently, I didn't do all the research, but apparently people signed up for 5Ks without even day one of training. Like, they were like, hey, this is a 12-week plan or whatever it takes. In 12 weeks, I just signed up for a, for a 5K, and I'm going to start tomorrow. Like, couch to 5K, right? And you ran this many days, and da, 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 da. Okay. Now, say you have a buddy who's like, hey, I'm going to do the couch to 5K. All right, cool, dude. Two weeks later, you talk to the buddy, and he's like, yeah, it doesn't work. And you say, what do you mean it doesn't work? He's like, it doesn't work. Like, I'm not in any better shape. Nothing happened. Like, like it, it doesn't work. The plan's, the plan's horrible. So you say, hey, tomorrow morning, let's go for a run, me and you. Whatever the next part of the plan is, let's do this. He's like, okay, cool. You meet him at whatever time you think is a good time to run. 
Uh, he's in jeans and flip-flops. And you're like, what are you doing? And he's like, dude, this is just the best running clothes I have available. Like, you don't, you don't have tennis shoes or basketball shoes or, like, we'll, we'll take, like, Keens over flip-flops. Like, you got nothing? No, this is it, man. So you've been trying to run for the last two weeks in flip-flops and jeans. Yeah. And then he's, like, yawning the whole time. He can barely move. He's like, how much sleep did you get last night? Mm, I averaged about four hours of sleep. Why? Netflix. Right? And it's like all of a sudden, it's like, hey, you don't have shoes. You don't have running clothes. You're not getting enough sleep. You ate 18 milkshakes this week. Like, what do you mean? The plan doesn't work because you didn't buy into it, man. Like, the plan doesn't, it's not the plan's fault. It's your fault. Okay? I feel like, and I don't want to read too far in the text, but I feel like there's some sort of feeling that you could read through Judges where it's like, mm, it's not the judge's fault. God, maybe it's your fault. Like, God, maybe you didn't, maybe you didn't bring along a good enough judge. Maybe, maybe that's the issue. And so I feel like Judges 13 is telling us, like, here it is. Here's, here, you want a judge handpicked by God before birth, brought up in a certain context to deliver Israel? You're going to get him. Here he is. And we're going to find out it's not God's fault. Right? He, he, he comes through. He gives you the best judge I think he could possibly give, and, and yet it's not going to turn out too well. Anyway, let's get into the text. Judges 13, verse 1. Now the sons of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hands of Philistine for 40 years. Okay, let's just pause just for a moment. Remember where we're at. Last week was Jephthah. Jephthah offers up his daughter as a human sacrifice. 42,000 men are killed because he was offended and their pride. Okay? For us to read verse 1. Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Like that shouldn't come as a shock. Like, if the person who's supposed to be leading your, your nation and your people is, is offering a human sacrifice and killing 42,000 men because his, his feelings were hurt by your response, like, this, this is kind of expected now, right? Not just because of the rhythm, but because of, like, if Jephthah was your leader, you're going to look like him probably. You're going you're gonna to partake in evil. Verse 2, there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, Danites, he's a tribe of Dan, whose name was Manoah. Okay, I just, just want to give a, a brief pause here. Uh, this chapter is going to be a lot about Manoah. Manoah, I think, is going to be a bright light in the dark book of Judges. Like, we t- kind of talked about it last week in discussion group. What are you looking for? We're looking for some sort of, some sort of area to, like, surface and just get a breath of fresh air and some sort of light. Like, I think Manoah is that. And we'll see that in just a second. So here's Manoah, uh, tribe of Dan. What do we know about his wife? His wife was barren and had borne no children. Okay, let's just acknowledge what we've, re- what we've just read about the wife. She's barren. She can't have kids. Horrible situation for her, especially in their context of shame, honor, culture. Like this was shameful. Like some, you've done something wrong. Like however you want to go down that road, like you can go down. It was, it was a horrible situation for her. I'm not trying to downplay that at all. But if you're reading this, like as we are, if you were to read just through the Bible, you start in Genesis, now you're in Judges, and you read about someone who's barren, automatically you're going to think this is a good story. Because, because I know how this nation of Israel started, and it started with Abraham and Sarah, and she was barren. And, and to her uh, was born Isaac, and Isaac would marry uh, a woman who I'm going to forget, Rachel, nope, Rebecca. Uh, he marries Rebecca, who's said to be barren, and from her comes Jacob and Esau. Jacob, who's this lines and now going to go through, marries Rachel and other women, but he marries Rachel, and that's his favorite, and she's barren, and then she has who? Joseph. 
And so here's the story of a woman being barren. And if you're remembering Genesis, this is like God's going to do something crazy. Like something good is about to happen because we don't just include that for no reason in these stories, it seems like. So if you're thinking Genesis, you're thinking Abraham, you're thinking maybe Joseph. Like, like here's someone that God used from, from a woman who couldn't have kids and he's born from her. And now he like saves Egypt and Israel, becomes right hand to the Pharaoh. Like what an epic story. Like God, we are waiting for that. And so we're reading this and we understand the Old Testament. Like this is exciting, painful for her. I'm not trying to downplay that. But like our end of things, it's like something of good is probably about to happen. Okay, verse 3. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold now, you are barren and have borne no children, now, uh, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. Like that's what we're waiting for. Historically from, from the Old Testament, what are we waiting for? We're waiting for the barren woman to have a son. That's what the story has been. That's how Yahweh has worked throughout the Old Testament, it seems like. Verse 4, Now therefore, be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean, unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the boy shall be a Nazarite uh, to God from the room, and he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Okay, two things that we just want to talk about the angel of the Lord here. One, he says he's going to be a Nazarite. Okay, we, if you know the story of Samson, like we understand some of that. I just want to jump back to, you don't have to, we're not going to turn there, we're not going to read it. But, it, but number six is where we get the, the Nazarite vow, as it's called. I just want to walk through it just briefly, remind us what's going on here. So number six, in order, if you were to read the text, here's what you would see. One, the Nazarite is, vow is something that's voluntary, generally speaking. Like you could do it, you cannot do it. So, so at some level, this is probably a bad illustration, but at some level, I feel like it's how some people would view Lent. You want to take 40 days before Easter and not have dessert or drink coffee or watch TV or whatever you're going to give up. Like, cool, you can do that. Nowhere in the Bible says you have to, but some people want to say, hey, I'm going to observe Lent. Okay, cool. That's, that's totally voluntary. You want to do it? Great. You don't have to make everyone in your small group do it, right? Second thing, and number six, it could be a man or a woman. Third thing, there was a specific time frame in mind. Number six doesn't give the specific time frame, but it was this picture that you're going to voluntarily take this vow for a specific reason and a specific time. And you would say when you started it, it's going to be 40 days, it's going to be 30 days, it's going to be a year, whatever the time frame was. But you came up with a time frame. Probably the most memorable part for us were the restrictions. No alcohol. It even says no grapes. So like not just the wine, but don't even go near the grapes. You could even interpret it. Some would even interpret it to say don't even go near the vineyard. Don't cut your hair. Don't go near dead bodies. And then the last thing that we see in number six was at the end of this time, you'd make a sacrifice. So you'd end this vow that you made for a specific time. You got to the end of 40 days or whatever you, you put it at, and you'd make a sacrifice to God. Okay, so what is different so far, just from this text, what's different so far is this is not voluntary. Right? The angel of the Lord, who is God, says to the Manoah's wife, this is who your son's going to be. He's going to be a Nazarite. Second thing, it's not a specific time frame, like 40 days, month, whatever. Like this is the rest of his life from the womb till he dies. Other than that, from what we can tell, it's going to be a quote unquote normal looking Nazarite vow. Okay, next thing that we read, the angel of the Lord says. Uh, so verse five, behold, you shall conceive, give birth to a son, and he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. 
Like this is what we're waiting for. We're waiting when, when it says Manoah and his wife and his wife's barren. It's like automatically we're like something good's about to happen. Here comes the son. And who's his son? What is he going to do? He's going to deliver Israel. Like we're longing for that. We're waiting for that. It's been 13 chapters of Judges. is ups and downs and mostly downs. And all of a sudden here comes some sort of hope. This isn't just scared Gideon that God's going to use for his honor and glory. This is like from the womb. God's chosen this one. There's something different about him. Hopefully that means something better. Verse 6. Then the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. And I did not ask him where he came from, nor did, I, nor did he tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and you shall not drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. For the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you have sent come to us again, that he may teach us what to do for the boy who is to be born. Okay, let's just pause just for a moment. Okay, I I said earlier, I think this chapter is on Manoah. Just looking at verse 8. Like, we don't know much about him. It doesn't say a whole lot. But just looking at at verse 8, what do we see? I think we see humility. Here's a man who's like, oh, Lord, I need some help. Like, like, if you could send that messenger back, uh, I got a whole lot of questions to ask him. There's a lot of humility, okay? Where are we at? We're Judges 13. What do we see in Judges 12? We saw a whole lot of pride. So, so we've seen pride in the life of Gideon. We've seen pride in the life of Bimelech. We've seen pride in Ephraim over, over and over again a couple different times now. Like, now all of a sudden we're reading Manoah, and it's like, oh, here's someone who's humble. Like, what a breath of fresh air that seems to be in this text. Not only that, but he seems to be what? He seems to be teachable. Like, let him come and teach me. Okay, just two chapters back. Judges 11. Here's Jephthah who makes a vow he never should have made. Like, Jephthah, if you, if you would have been teachable, if you would have learned, if you would have known who your God was, if you would have spent some time knowing God, you never would have made that vow. Your daughter would never have been sacrificed. So it seems like, just from a, a simple statement that Manoah says in verse 8, it seems like to me that it's like, here's the exact opposite of what we just read in verses 11 and 12. Like, he is nothing like Jephthah. He is nothing like Ephraim. Verse 9. God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she was sitting in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came the other day has appeared to me. Then Manoah arose and followed his wife. And when he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to the woman? And he said, I am. Manoah said, Now when your words come to pass, what shall be the boy's mode of life and his vocation? So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Let the woman pay attention to all that I said. She should not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. Let her observe all that I commanded. Okay, so here's a little bit, angel of the Lord, that's God. Uh, here's a little bit of like, I, I, I wish we had more. I'm assuming that, that God said more to him than this. But Manoah's like, teach me. Like, I can't do this. I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough wisdom. Like, I, I can't be the one who raises up a boy who's supposed to deliver Israel. Like, I need lots of help. And the angel of the Lord's response was, what? I already told the woman. Just pay attention to what, what I said to her. Stay away from the vine and strong drink. Strong drink is just alcohol made from a different source instead of grapes. 
Right? So stay away from the vine, stay away from the drink. Don't, any, don't eat any unclean thing. So at some level, I feel like, yeah, I wish there was more than that. Right? Like, I, if I'm Manoah, I, I'm assuming there was more than that. But again, for the story of Samson, he's going to take a, a Nazarite vow. He's going to be one who's going to say, hey, these are the things that he's supposed to stay away from. Like, we're just laying the foundation of what's about to come in his, in his life. Verse 15. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you so that we may prepare a young goat for you. The angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? So that when your words come to pass, we may honor you. Okay, pause again on Manoah. Again, simple question. What is your name? And then he says, because when this comes to pass, we want to honor you. When he says, when this comes to pass, we may honor you. I mean, I don't know. Maybe this isn't what we're supposed to be, uh, conclusion we're supposed to be getting to. But the conclusion I get to is, he is so different than Gideon. Gideon says what? He says, cool, God, can you give me a fleece? Hey, that was really cool. Can you do the fleece again just backwards? Hey, God, can you give me, give me another sign? I'm not downplaying Gideon. Like, the Bible doesn't downplay him. But at some level, it's like Manoah says, you said it, I believe it. So we already said he's humble. We already said he's teachable. Now here's a man who has some sort of faith that says, I'm, I'm not going to doubt you. Like, when this comes to pass. He said it earlier in verse 12. Now when your words come to pass. What is the boy's mode? Uh, what do he say? What is the boy's mode of life and his vocation? So he's already said it twice. When your words come to pass. Like, like at some level, Manoah has the faith in God. He doesn't even know this is the angel of the Lord yet. But he has some level of faith of God that he sent a messenger. And he says, this is what God has said. Okay, I believe it. When your words come to pass. So, so again, we see Manoah, who has faith, unlike most of the people we talked about in Judges. Then how does he end that time? He says, what is your name? When words come to pass. What does he say? That we may honor you. I mean, thinking of Gideon, right? Like, like how did Gideon's life end? It ended with him naming a son. My, my father is king. And it ended with him wanting all the honor. So it seems like he wanted all the glory over and over again. We've seen that with Abimelech. We've seen that with other people. Like, like God should be receiving honor. God should be receiving praise. And the story of Judges is that they themselves would seek out that honor and glory. And here's Manoah who's like, no, he's faithful. He believes in God. And he's like, I want to I give honor to who honors do. So can, so can you tell me your name? so that I can honor you. I'm, I'm not seeking my own honor. Uh, I don't get the praise in this. You're the messenger. I'm, I'm just a man. And again, like I feel like here's Manoah, and here's this bright spot in the dark book of Judges. How does God respond? Verse 18. But the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? Okay, the word Wonderful. Is probably a really good word from the Greek to the English. But we've made the English word wonder, wonderful, pretty, pretty not. It's like the word awesome, right? How was your day? Awesome. Really? Like, do we understand what the word awesome means if we thought going to work and not getting fired and coming home and eating dinner was awesome? Like, like is that our love? Okay, same thing here. Like, wonderful is this idea full of wonder and amazement, like beyond comprehension. We use the word wonderful like, man, we had a wonderful day at the beach. I took a nap, I ate some lunch, came home. Man, it was wonderful. Like, full of wonder and amazement. Right? No, like, the, we just make it mean good. 
Right? So, so here, it's not saying, God's not saying, why do you ask my name? It's just a good name. Like, no, this name is so indescribable. Like, you cannot comprehend it. Zephyr is saying, Manoah, your finite mind cannot grasp my name. Why can't he grasp it? Because a name represents the person. Right? And so what is he saying? He's saying, my name represents who I am. How can I tell you who I am in one word? Like, I'm, I'm so indescribable. I'm so amazing. I'm so holy. I'm so awesome. I'm so good. I'm so loved. Like, I'm so all of these things. Like, Manoah, you can't, you can't grasp it. It's, it, can't, it can't happen in one name. Right? And so, so here's Manoah. Uh, I forgot to mention this earlier. His name means rest, which is ironic because Israel hasn't had rest since Gideon. Uh, but maybe, maybe through his line, we're going to see rest, right? Maybe that's the dream is that, that here comes rest. And now here's God who says, you want to know my name? My name is like beyond comprehension. Okay, can we just pause and recognize that is probably how we should view God still today? Like sometimes we have the completed Bible. We talk about this from a Dale Davis quote. We have the New Testament. And so therefore, somehow we've made God like, like a little bit less than what Old Testament people thought of him. Like, oh, you don't have to be afraid of him. Like, you don't have to worry about him. Like, oh, he's so good if you just knew the New Testament. And yet, at some level, it's like, no, God is wonderful. Like, full of, of wonder and amazement. He is awesome. And we don't grasp that because we treat everything so familiar with God. His word, prayer. Here's a, a, a call from God to say, no, 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 this is who I am. I'm so far above. Verse 19, so Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering, offered on the rock to the Lord, and he performed wonders while Manoah and his wife looked on. I wish there was more to that verse. Uh, anyway, verse 20, For it came about when the flame went up from the altar toward heaven, that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. Now the angel of the Lord did not appear to Manoah or his wife again. Okay, here we're going to get two different responses to what just happened. They recognize it's God. Two different responses. First one, then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. So Manoah said to his wife, We will surely die, for we have seen God. Okay, so first response is what? Is one of fear. The Exodus, Moses, no one can see God and live. Like here's this, that, like he knows that. And so there's some level of here's a holy God that we just interacted with. Like it wasn't just a messenger from God. He says what? He says, we have seen God. And so here's this fear of God that says we are going to die because we are so unholy. Next response, though. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us these things, nor would he have let us hear uh, things like this at this time. Okay, what is her response? I think her response is one of hope. Like, like that, especially that last phrase. He let us hear these things at this time. What were these things? That you're going to have a son? You who are a barren, you're going to have a son? Uh, you who, who are waiting for a deliverer, like your son's going to be that deliverer? Like, like why would he share this hope of this coming and this future deliverer with us if he was just here to kill us? And yet at the same time, I feel like both responses are good. To be able to say, here is, here is God who is holy and so far above us and his name is wonderful and we have some sense of awe and amazement and fear before him. Like I'm saying, good job, Manoah. And yet, I don't feel like it's a complete picture without his wife who would say, here's some hope. Hope in a God who's sovereign, hope in a God who's in control, hope of a God who's all-powerful. 
right? But we, but we can't just land on hope. Like, we can't land on a hope of a God who's not powerful. We can't land on a hope of a God who's not holy. We can't just have hope in a God who's, who's like us. And so I feel like at some level, you put Manoah and his wife, you put both those responses together, and here's a, here's a really beautiful picture of how we respond to God. There's fear, there's trembling, and yet there's hope that he's not, he's not done with us yet. Verse 24. Then the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson. The word Samson means little son, or you could say like the son. The, the picture that most commentators are going to come up with is this picture of that he's supposed to reflect the glory of God. So, so we have a deliverer who God has chosen before he was even born. And we're going to name him Samson. We're going to name him like the sun or, or one who would reflect the sun or a little sun. So the picture is he's going, to, he's going to reflect the glory of God. He's going to look like God. He's going to be like God. Like that's who his, his parents are longing for him to do this. That he would raise up and deliver his people to the glory of God. Okay, so, so let's just park here. We're going to finish the last verse or two here in just a second. But I feel like, uh, and, and this is going to bother us maybe a little bit, but that's fine. We can be bothered. I feel like you read the story of Manoah and his wife. We don't even know her name. And it's like, I get it. Like, I get why God would look at Manoah, and I get why he would say, hey, I'm going to choose you. I'm going to choose your wife. Like, you're the couple that I'm going I'm to bring this deliverer. I'm going to bring them through you and your family. Like, I get it. Because there's fear, there's humility, there's even the naming of Samson of, like, not some sort of proud thing, but some sort of, like, we want to reflect the glory of God to others. And so... I think, as we walk through Judges 13, like you get to this point in verse 24, like if you don't know the rest of the story, you don't know what Samson's about to do, you know, none of those things, you get to Judges 13, like this is hope. This is God's going to do, like this is amazing, like Israel's finally going to get it, like we're going to leave here, and we're going to come back to Judges for five, six weeks probably, but we're going to leave here on this crazy cliffhanger of like God's going to do something amazing because of who Manoah is, because of who his wife is, and because of this boy named Samson who was promised to them. Like, Judges is always dark and gloomy, and yet Judges 13, I think, shines super bright. And, and if, we just, if we just allow what we know is going to happen to taint that, I feel like it's just going to ruin the rest of the story for us. Okay? To make it even more exciting. The woman gives birth, the name of Samson. What does it say? The child grew up, and the Lord blessed him. Like, that's good to read. Verse 25, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. Like, what does that mean? It means that God's not going to just let him do nothing. He's, he's called you before you were born to, to be this deliverer of Israel, and now's the time. So the Spirit of God is at work in Samson to get him to start doing what he's supposed to do. Brad Gray in his book would say he gave Samson a, a quick, uh, swift kick in the rear end. Right? Like, we're not going to let you just do nothing. I've called you for a purpose, and now my spirit's at work in you. And so once again, we get to the verse 25, and it's like, this is it. Failure after failure after failure, not this time. Like, not this one. This one's different from his birth. This one's different because of his parents. This one's different because the spirit, uh, God has blessed him, which I don't think we've read a whole lot about. We haven't seen the spirit begin to stir and move and impel someone like this before. Like, we read this, and we're like, this guy is different. There's hope. There's, there's some sort of beauty to all of this. And it's like, man, Judge is about to take a really good turn. Like, that's what we would think if we didn't know the rest of the story. I told you we're going to start talking a little bit more about geography. Here we go. Here's a little bit more geography. It ends by saying, I'm going to do the English version of this, the camp of Dan, instead of that Hebrew word I can't pronounce, uh, between Zorah and Eshtol. 
Okay, what does all that mean to us? Not much. Let me just paint a little picture. Jerusalem, we kind of know what Jerusalem is in Israel. Uh, I'm going to go this way because that's how it works in my brain to move my hand this direction, but I probably should move it that way for you. Uh, he, he, uh, this area of Zorah and Eshtol, this camp of Dan, is going to be to the west of Jerusalem. If you go far enough west, what do you run into? You run into the Mediterranean Sea. Who's on the Mediterranean Sea? The Philistines. So what's the picture of the geography here? Is God's raising up a deliverer to deliver you from who? From the Philistines. And where is that deliverer? He is literally in the in-between land between Jerusalem and the Philistines. Like, it's not like he's some far away. We've got to go get him. We've got to bring him. Like, like God's going to raise up a deliverer, and he's right where he needs to be. Right time, right place, seemingly right parents. Like, again, here's the picture that you have a deliverer, and he's going to be a good deliverer, and this is going to go really, really well for Israel. Which makes the rest of the Samson stories that much more tragic. But anyway, what do we, what do we see from this? Like where do we land? Uh, for me, what I said at the beginning, I think we land at here's the foundation to the story of Samson. And if we miss this, if, if we just think like, yeah, well, Samson didn't really do good. And like, no, like if we miss verse 13, then I think we miss the rest of the story of Samson. So we have to understand, like we leave Judges 13. If we don't know the rest of the story, we leave it with hope. We leave it with God's at work. We leave it, here's a, here's a God who, can, who, can, who doesn't leave his people. In fact, he gives them the best deliverer they will ever have up to this point, we think. Like, here's the glory of God in display and not leaving his people. Here's a man named Manoah that, that throughout the book of Judges has been examples not to be like. And all of a sudden we get an example that's like, hey, maybe we could be more like him. And humble and teachable and, and faithful, believing that God's going to do what he says. But anyway, this is just laying the foundation that we won't get back to for six weeks or so. So, uh, be on the podcast, listen to it over Christmas break, whatever you need to. Keep it fresh in mind. We'll come back to it. But let's pray, uh, and then we'll, we will observe the Lord's Supper this morning. Father, in the midst of, of a story about Samson, a story about his parents, really, uh, we want to see you still. We want to recognize you and the work that you're doing. We want to recognize that you don't leave your people you haven't left them to their own, you haven't, you haven't abandoned them. In fact, Judges 13 paints the opposite picture. That in the midst of their evil, in the midst of their sin, in the midst of 40 years being under the Philistines, that you would send someone that you pretty much built from the ground up. And yet, God, we recognize, we know the, the end of the story, that it's still not going to work out well. And so, God, at some level, help us to take our eyes off of another human. Humans are never the ones who are going to deliver us. Humans are never the ones who are going to save us. Humans are never the ones that are going to bring satisfaction and joy and, and all the things that you would promise in yourself. But help us to put our eyes on you. God, we thank you for the, the story of Manoah and his wife, of, of a couple who seems to be faithful, a couple who seems to believe in you, a couple who seems to have humility, teachability. It seems to be a, a couple that we could, we could want to be like. So we thank you for this bright light in the dark book of Judges. God, I pray that you would be with our discussion group to come, give us wisdom, help us to, to, to encourage one another, help us to uh, be able to understand this text even more. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.